Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Psychology 360 podcast. Today, I have with me Daniel Dick. Daniel is a researcher and explorer of consciousness, and he's been a lecturer at the University of Vienna in the fields of anthropology and sociology. He's also won several awards, such as the European meeting of cybernetics and system research in 2016 and the uh barton fry award and i'm sure i mispronounced that and daniel is also you, you also have a podcast and you are an author of various books now i've you are an all-around character so I, I have a hard time introducing you. So if you want to give the listeners a little bit about you and, and your projects and what have you been up to? Thank you, Simon. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast too. It's a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah, you just asked me, how should you introduce myself? Uh, I, I was thinking myself what I am right now. I've gone through many changes because of following just the, my curiosity of understanding life, understanding consciousness. And um, in the last years, especially, I focused on uh, the academic career. There was basically, I was trained in anthropology. And um, from anthropology, I was basically into consciousness and religion. So I would examine ritual, states of consciousness what is uh different what what are different techniques to go into trance to alter consciousness and what kind of content is in a specific state of consciousness and that across different cultures and the professor i had at that time died in 2013 that was professor manfred kremser which i owe a lot of uh um vision of what consciousness research could be and from there on i was like kind of okay now i have to reorient myself if i want to keep doing academia so i just went to the other side of the spectrum of the scientific view on the world which is like a very materialistic view so i went to the guy that was the most materialistic um, lecturer, actually, he wasn't a professor lecturer, and wrote then with him my master thesis in combining different views on how to explain the sacred. And that led me actually to system science. And in system science, I combined uh, epistemology with anthropology, which means the question how do I get actually knowledge? And system science was very handy for that because it would cover patterns of understanding the world that you would find in very different, different areas, different disciplines. And therefore, it was kind of seeing more and more kind of a, of a pattern like structures in different organisms and different ways of seeing the world and how you perceive the world. So everything will kind of make more and more sense. 
but at some point also the the distinction to to think about consciousness um was becoming a bit of a of an obstacle actually to explore consciousness itself because you would always kind of put the observer and the observed in a difference because it's actually it's about consciousness so you have your own consciousness so it's good to reflect upon it but if you want to know what it is it's you have to experience it by your own what does that be so in in different ways i i have been always kind of on a spiritual path a very eclectic one because of the research i had done with religion and consciousness so i have been gathering experiences from different spiritual traditions that was like on one hand very shamanic traditions of south america plant uh, based uh, medicine but also north american shamanism as well as zen buddhism which is a very disciplined way of meditating and then i also went into the different ways how to work on with energy based on chakras uh, trying on that different things and was sometimes it's a bit uh, disappointed on the, on the other hand i was i gathered like a lot of extraordinary experiences from that so that the urge to to find a cohesive um, worldview to make sense out of the research and the experience was more and more a quest that actually now since three months ended up in the larger buddhism which is an extensive uh, compilation of philosophy and different techniques and teachings on how to explore the nature of the mind how they call it and in between i have been uh, founding academia like different institutions that would explore consciousness therefore i found myself very often organizing science and topics and workshops and stuff like that so gathering a lot of information around these things because i was doing conferences i was visiting conferences and um one guy approached me asking if i want to talk about sex and he was a philosopher and he said uh in philosophy usually nobody talks about sex not even in science you know and why is that in the chorus we then met with a third guy that is kevin arras the first one is kevin last and we made kind of a podcast on on Facebook Live, and we choose about 10 episodes to talk about different aspects of sexuality, and especially also about masculinity, because we found out that there is not much talk about contemporary masculinity and spirituality. So how to find your way through relationship, hardship, attraction, and all that weird stuff that comes up with relationship heartbreak attachment and actually trying to 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 be someone that wants to do the right thing 
you know, the spiritual path of doing what is correct, but also doing the good, doing the beauty, being, being loving, kind, and so on. But on the other hand, it always keeps you being kind of exclusive because there's jealousy or this attraction that you can't because you're in a relationship and so on. All these kind of questions that is real and put it into the context of mythology, philosophy, and actually it was, you know, um, really quite, quite, um, how do you say, yeah, just practical, you know, back down to earth, you know. So that's, uh, that's the, the first book that came out, actually. And there is one book that is kind of in the shelf that I compiled on different disciplines on consciousness research, different perspectives. And there's another one that is in front of to be published, and that is it to talking about masculinity and how to how to make actually this inner work to to be more kind for yourself and be in good communication so that you for yourself have less trigger patterns to respond to and on the other hand become really collaborative with your environment so that last one is part of the social wisdom initiative and is going to be called Mir's Guide for Social Wisdom. That's kind of a overview of my last 10 years, something like that. Yeah, I mean, that was quite the introduction. Uh, if, yeah, and, and uh, you know, how did we meet? We met at the, I, I think the transpersonal conference in Prague. Was it that one or beyond psychedelics that you were doing a presentation? And then uh, later I organized a conference um, with my friend Mauro um, that was about science and mysticism. And I thought you should definitely come and present your research on um, on consciousness. But yeah, I think you 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 bring up uh, quite the quite the paradoxes there in terms of studying consciousness. It's like yes, we are, we're studying consciousness, but how do you do that objectively uh, when you are an emanation of consciousness, right? When you are experiencing it firsthand, so it becomes tricky. And I guess that the logical and this will sound again paradoxical. The logical approach would be to explore spiritual and religious traditions along with um, more hands-on consciousness alteration um, techniques and practices. But I want to get into what you're doing now uh, with this topic of masculinity, uh, because I remember... Uh, once when you were you you came to Prague and we were uh, going out for a beer and we were having these uh, a talk and you were uh, describing to me some of your experiences uh, in South America in within the shamanic context and how you had experienced like the the you know the sex or the uh, gender of the plants you were working with and this ties to a concept that is 
found in Western, in the Western esoteric tradition of polarities and this kind of, you know, positive, negative polarities, masculine, feminine polarity, which we find in the hermetic tradition. We find also in the, in the East with the Taoist tradition, and I'm sure in Buddhism as well. But I want to ask you what, what brought you there? Because there's quite a lot to say on that topic. Right. I mean, this is a, a really a contemplation of, of many different facets and aspects. If you talk about the polarity of uh, feminine, masculine, you, know, you always can to the point to think, okay, should we keep the polarity? Should we dissolve it? You know, because on, on the first hand, on the very practical uh, side, you have, even though if you're male or female, you have a masculine and feminine side that is attracted to a kind of an opposite or something that you're not. And uh, therefore, you, you're kind of attracted to it. Because there's something that is missing kind of inside of you. And yes. out of that lack, you know, that, that you're not, you, you find it in, in someone else, or maybe you even find it in plant medicine, you know, or even you find it in, in another heuristic moment of seeing it out there, which is not in there. You, you find a completion for some moments, which uh, when it comes to relationship, it becomes clear in the orgasm, which you have with your partner in the same time. You know, you dissolve into the oneness. And for a moment, you just everything is fine. And in spiritual catharsis, it's uh, called Samadhi, for example, where you also can kind of find place where there's just pure consciousness, pure light, there's nothing beyond. And, uh, but um, there's always kind of a way back too. You know, you get out of the bed, the next day you just wake up and go to work again, you know, and continue with the struggle of every day. The, the ceremony is over and you might have experienced some, some cleansing of emotionality, which brought uh, to the point of cartages where everything is fine. And then you go back and the next day and maybe have a, a fight with your partner about the dishes, you know? So um, it is kind of this oscillation where we're trying to find the oneness. And on the other hand, we keep separating ourselves from that in our everyday life. And the separation comes always with, with a struggle and with an attraction towards it. Right. And that's, yeah, these are quite deep philosophical concepts. But just to reiterate uh, what you were saying, you're, you were talking about like a concept that is uh, described quite well in Jungian, in the Jungian tradition by Carl Jung, which is the anima animus that, of course, we have within ourselves 
masculine and feminine forces. And also we have, uh, we compensate, right? Sometimes we may compensating this lack of need or, and, and, and sometimes we may be neglectful, right? We may, maybe our, like our feminine side, for example, may be neglected. And then, you know, I might, and, and these are kind of still like based on traditional uh, Western gender roles, but, you know, like I may not show my emotion so much. And then all of a sudden I may have a catharsis or a crisis where since I have been neglecting that side of myself, it comes out. Right. And right. yeah, so that's interesting. I, I like also what you said about, about sex and the orgasm. And, and I think that it is one of the most important spiritual aspects of life is sexuality. And a lot of people, well, in, in some religions, you have sexuality as being a little taboo. But um, even if even if you make something taboo, it doesn't uh, diminish it, right? It, 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 it uh, enhances it because then you have a, um, a compensation effect, right? Right. I mean, the, the interesting part, I mean, I have to say, because I, I got triggered by, you know, by the word taboo, <laughs> because I made up my mind quite a lot for a while, because I thought I would do my, my PhD on taboo, because my, my master thesis was on the sacred. Yeah. And uh, this is very interesting, taboo, because to talk about something that you shouldn't talk about. You know, it's a paradox in itself already. So the one who talks about a taboo is the heretic. Yes. And what does he talk about actually? About something that is sacred. Hmm, that's, in, that's very interesting. Yeah, ultimately we get yeah, ultimately we get to that. And what, so, but I still, like, I, you still didn't answer the question about the masculine, like, because your, your podcast and your uh, book is called uh, Sex, God, and Masculinity, correct? Is that the order? Yes. So, sex, masculinity, God. Sex, masculinity, God, I guess I would have put, I guess that was my unconscious order in terms of what, even though they are connected, I would put sex, God, masculinity. But anyways, but what brought you close to the, like that topic? Because masculinity and being a male is something that is quite a, a hot topic, I guess, within psychology and uh, I talked uh, with uh, someone else uh, on the show about, for example, how like in in terms of addiction, new addictions, um, things like video games, uh, it's usually more boys that get addicted and boys are struggling quite a lot in this uh, day and age. There's a great book by Phil Zimbardo called um, Men Disconnected. Uh, but what 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 brought this about? Like, I, I still didn't get a full understanding of it. Masculinity has been uh, a topic that just uh, really came to me in a sense because um, 
like being raised out of a generation that grew up in the 60s and then being like in the midst of a wave, especially in, in, raised in, in academia, Vienna, which is a very feminist um, um, surrounding environment, there was a complete denial of something to be proud, to be a man, you know, then there was not even a thought about thinking, okay, uh, masculinity should be actually a topic. So from, from, from many men that, this is what, what I came out to, to discover, is there was some other people just talking about this and going into depth into man circles and other people that lead actually man circles that um, the woman due to feminism they picked up many roles that were occupied by men before so on one hand they had like the, the chance that they had the, the woman before but also the roles that had the man before and feminism kind of made the, the pathway for also intellectualize that and bring it into a society with a, a common understanding. And the role of the man that had like the same roles as the woman that equalized the roles that man had before kind of lacked the, the balance to, to that. You know, there was kind of a missing response from the feminism that brought the emancipation for women, you know. And this led for, for most men either to, to find themselves like going, going backwards into more traditional patterns, patterns of, uh, of, yeah, of very old patriarchism and on the other hand also to to struggle really with the emotionality and with no no sense of what does it mean nowadays to be a man you know because on one hand we have like backlash going okay we're going man should go back to the whole pattern before feminism, before emancipation. This was what we know, and then that was kind of stable, but still time just did go on. And the other half of man, just saying it very simply, they sure a lot of grazers in that. They didn't know how to be a man and if they could actually be a man. And this led actually to a lot of suicides among men in the last decade and abuse of addictions, that is alcohol and you name it, internet, porn, stuff like that. So uh, we found really that kind of, of lack of understanding that there is a topic that was not talked about because on one end we reverse the point Nowadays, in Spanish-speaking countries, like this movement, you are uh, the predator, the, the one that um, violates and uh, like really harsh sexual abuse. Um, topic is coming up 
so the man are seen as something bad, you know, because they have been aggressive, because they have been abusing sexually women over centuries, because we have uh, patriotism and so on. And, um, you know, that kind of leads also to, to a kind of a dichotomy of someone who is to blame and someone who is uh, who is in the position of the victimhood, you know? So it, it turns around there and that's also not kind of the solution that we want to have actually. Yeah, those are, I think those are very important and, and great points. And this is something that I've thought about quite a lot as well in terms of what you, what you described there with, you know, with the feminist movement and the sociological changes that came about uh, due to the, this movement. I mean, which is good. I mean, women's equality, I'm, I'm all about that. Um, but there is something to say about the fact that, yes, like, uh, it, you know, a lot of these people who are um, talking about matriarchy, for example, well, they're not they're not really um, creating new roles that would be uh, organic or say that they come about from a, a true matriarchal society when they are when these women are, are basically just taking the, the role that was traditionally uh, a man's role and you know i've had various discussion with friends colleagues who are uh feminists were very feminist and and um you know they were saying they, they and one thing that comes to mind that that uh, i thought it was very interesting it ties to our talk now is very often the um it's the women who are uh, the biggest uh, maintainers of the patriarchy and, and in all ways, like meaning even if it's a woman in a position of power, she may be, and I'm generalizing a little bit, but she may be um, really compensating or, or taking it more seriously than maybe uh, ideal. I don't know, but we, we I've had various discussions about that. And yeah, and you 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 also make good points about um, these dynamics that are at play, uh, where you have yeah you have this kind of a crisis, I guess, and um, you see this kind of compensation again, where you have these men's rights movement, and they're very often I I, I see I'm not a manly man, I don't consider myself that, but when I see a lot of these um, masculinity uh, coaches or proponents, I, I just kind of, I don't know, I, I just find it a little bit funny because they seem like they're posing quite a lot. And um, I've met, I, I've met quite a lot of manly men, let's say of uh, uh, masculine people and, and even older people, let's say, that grew up in a, a real, like a much more patriarchal uh, society than we have now. Um, but yeah, the, the fact is that the, what you bring up is very important. And there is a social and mental health crisis among boys who are uh, in a state of confusion. Now, I want to ask you also, because you have their sex and you 
in in my previous talks with you, I think you were talking about like sex positivity, which I'm a fan of, and, and I'm not. I don't hear too much about that movement nowadays, uh, surprisingly. Uh, sex positive and also the uh, God aspect, like um, you find, because this is another can of worms we can open our uh, big topic is the concept of the sacred within our postmodern uh, societies, right? Because we see traditional religions are losing ground and uh, there was this big atheist movement and now there's kind of a vacuum or kind of a big space, right? So what do you, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. Yeah. These are the topics about the book. Yeah. And there's so much to say about that. I mean, um, sex positive for me, you know, I have, uh, been in several relationships and one hand always have been tried to, to be the best version for myself. But I also find myself that at some point, you know, you, the relationship fades away or you break up because you have different plans for the future or you just didn't see yourself anymore in that relationship. You know, and if we look into marriage and stuff like that, you, you have quite high number uh, on divorce rates and I also have been like in, in polyamoric or like in multiple relationships which has also led to a lot of suffering because you know there is attachment there's always kind of the wish to be the one you know or that that leads somehow to yeah, to feel rejected if, if you are not the one. So, and the notion of spirituality and also like the, the question that was driving myself into this book was why is love on a human basis exclusive? You know, does it have to be like that? That is that was kind of the question because jealousy arises. So I always have kind of this this wish or this ideal vision of that actually there should be something like unconditional love. And um, this is where it comes to to spirituality. That's what you kind of try to develop to be unconditionally loving for yourself and for the others. You know, but how you do that if you put sex in the middle, you know, and then jealousy and stuff like that. So when it comes to be a very, you know, to say very practical, it is that sex has been always a union. And for some more tantric experiences, it is a sacred union. And what we have discovered among the, these conversations, these trialogues that we had about the, the book, is that 
actually the, the attraction, what you're attracted to is kind of something that is on your forehead to open up to your consciousness. But actually the attraction itself, what you're attracted to is mostly unconscious. And here comes to, to a very interesting point that when, when it comes to tantric practices is that you uh, find yourself discovering your unconsciousness through the interaction, through the experiences of the sacred union. And Daniel, sorry to interrupt, but could you, because I, I don't know if all the or, or many of the listeners may not know what exactly is tantra or tantric um and also another thing to add with that is some people uh, only associate tantra with sex when it isn't just about sex right yeah tantra actually is um is kind of a compilation of different techniques some would say there are even different colors of Tantra and the most known is sexual practices that are at the same time spiritual. But Tantra itself comes from the Sanskrit from the East and is practiced in several other religions too like in Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism and so on. It comes I think from the root, it means like to weave and it's kind of putting things together. And the basis of Tantra are actually the work with energy, where we find this esoteric uh, instructions about how to um, work with the chakras, which has been like the most common notion that we know in the West are actually acupuncture, which is a very detailed system of energetic body, energetic body. And the chakra system, which originates more in India and acupuncture more in China, is that the chakra system is less detailed in the West known, I have to say, because those have very detailed explanations as well as the acupuncture system. But the difference is very much that acupuncture is very medical and uh, the tantric aspect includes sometimes some medical practices, but especially um, uh, the basis of exploring the oneness in oneself through practices, experiences, which are opening energy bodies. Can I explain that well? Yeah, I think that's a pretty clear dis uh, description, and. I guess uh, part of that, and I why I asked you to to describe it also for the listeners, is that you you mentioned you were going to do the PhD on taboo, but I know that very often in tantra, this uh, there's this notion of breaking taboos or getting to the point where there is no taboos and connecting to going beyond the notion of dual dualism or uh, dualities and, and connecting everything. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. 
Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so sorry, and and so basically, because you know, many tantric books and uh, tantrics get a bad rep sometimes because in the in the past there was this notion about tantrics breaking sexual taboos. So in societies where there were strong restrictions, for example, against homosexuality, they would do homosexual acts or things like that, or um, to take drugs where they were not permitted. I think now in our culture where like, for example, drug use is so common, I don't think that's, I mean, that's a partial taboo, but not such a big one, right? Yeah. So I think that in terms of, you know, in terms of what is driving a lot of people also to traditionalism is, uh, and, and this is an, another topic, but I think what a lot of people now are, are being attracted, and I'm thinking men again, to uh, traditional religions such as Orthodox Christianity, Orthodox Judaism, uh, mystical uh, uh, sects of Islam, there's there's in this kind of in this postmodern culture where everything is uh, relative in terms of values in terms of perspectives some people are you know going to that it's kind of like a rebellion in a way uh, you know in a in a uh, paradoxical way right yeah yeah exactly and i think there, there is um a certain degree where that makes totally sense because in the last centuries has have been so rushing out and there have been so many changes you know if you compare the last 30 years there have been so many changes in how the world looks like on a global scale that you can't imagine how these changes could have happened between let's say uh, 1500 and 1800, you know. So the search for uh, stability is more than needed, you know, for something uh, permanent to, to hold on. What did really work out well in, in history? And um, when, when we look at that, we also find that there are things that we find in so-called perennial philosophy, which is a philosophy that tries to find through our culture, through our history, common patterns. And actually, you can also find them in system science. And um, the the point of searching here, or the quest that this perennial philosophy does as well as many mystic traditions, is to find a common ground on the structure of the universe. And for that reason, the things that have been quite permanent are a good refuge to search or to find answers to them. And on the other hand, it will be always kind of like a like a walking stick, but you have to go yourself, you know. It's kind of like having consciousness research as a second perspective, but actually it's your consciousness. 
and um, I mean it's the how how much have been how much how many things have been changed you know my, my brother works as a teacher and he would say that the children and he works like with um, children that had really um, difficulties and they, they would look a movie and it wouldn't work out because these children don't have the, the attention to focus on a whole movie, you know, because it doesn't give them that much of an impression so that they can hold on the attention because our day movies and Snapchat and stuff like that are so short and we can choose so many different things. If we don't like something, we just skip it. In Tinder, we see someone and don't like it, so we skip it. You know, or in job situations, you know, so many people just skip from, from one job to the other because they didn't do what they wanted to do in a short amount of time. There's so much pressure on, on yeah, rapid change to something good or something impactful. And it really misses out the continuity, the integrity that you need to build something slowly up that is permanent, at least for a lifetime or for a lifespan. Yeah, those, um, sorry. Especially when, when men are getting back into old panels, I think it is kind of a, a good refuge on one hand if you want to find yourself in the quest of fulfilling your philosophy and experience yourself in a mythical way. Yeah. But yeah. on the other hand, you have to think about what did happen in the last 13 years that we have kind of new, new settings, we have new roles. As you said, Christianity is pretty much in the decay, you know, because it doesn't give any more the people the answers that they need. And other communities and rituals are becoming more and more important. So the question is here, what kind of society are we looking for in which we can really find the response to this crisis? that most men have, find rituals where we find the union, where we find the experience of the integrity of a continuity, which can really give the people, give the man, give his relationships, stability, that things can actually grow and thrive upon that. Um, that is the real question, which nowadays much more has been said about, for example, man's circles, or actually Buddhism is, for example, very going on, and a lot of different societies that have different kind of rituals are taking place, but it's still in this time right now, something very much in, in a shaky position, especially is now with all the rushing that we had in the last years 
and now we have COVID, where everything slowed down so much. You know, had to slow down everything. So there will be much more of a need to go inwards because we were forced with COVID to do so, to really look what, what's inside of myself, to not get distracted so much from the outside world. On the other hand, this need for the community that looks inside, especially amongst among men, I think will be in the next 10, 30 years, uh, something very forthcoming and well welcomed by the need of this crisis that we had in the last 20 years among the identification and the instability that was experienced by most men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, but there's uh, just a, a few concepts uh, that some people may not be too familiar with again, like you mentioned the perennial philosophy and this idea does indeed come to come from the from the philosophy of traditionalism and it's this notion that we find this recurrent um, traditions and recurrent ideas philosophies throughout all cultures right all places in the world that uh, that connect to what we can call a truth right to the truth with the big t and so in traditionalism you stick with what you well not actually i, I was about to mischaracterize it uh, but i was you know ideally you stick with the tradition that you come from uh and you find and you go to it's you you stick with the the essentials the the orig the origins and you live according to that some people do move out. Actually, I was just thinking, Rene Ganon, who was one of the founders of traditionalism, uh, converted to Islam, and he was uh, changed his name and became a traditionalist Muslim uh, rather than a Christian. But, anyways, is that is that uh, like a good way of putting it? And another thing, just to break it up. Uh, but you mentioned something very interesting in terms of consciousness and in terms of attention, which I think I, I think about quite a lot. Um, and this is, yeah, the, the, the lack or the little attention spans that kids are getting, especially. And I can't generalize because, you know, different people parent kids differently. So I think that if you are, uh, you know, a parent and you have a, a child and you're exposing them to smartphones at an early age, that you're doing an, an immense amount of damage to the child. And I don't think that is appreciated enough. I mean, it's better to postpone the smartphone exposure as much as possible because you are damaging that child's attention span and ultimately limiting the child's uh, ability and also like shaping the child's uh, views. And I see that with these apps, with social media sites, because we see it as adults, but imagine being a child and, and seeing the world through Twitter or some other social media app. That's scary stuff. 
yeah i mean there we are again you know on one hand we have the pure progress of our technological ability to communicate and to gather information and now even more and more to spread information on our own and um, this is like a topic for itself on one hand we have this perennial everlasting uh, search for the truth I mean, as long as we, we put things into words or into different words, there, there won't be the truth because we are tangled in language, meaning and interpretation of what we have been thinking that the word actually means based on our experience. So the, the search of a perennial truth, as I said, it's like a walking stick if you find them. You have to walk it on your own. But um, I studied anthropology especially because I wanted to make sense across different cultures about spiritual experiences because that's kind of the best way that I found where I could find a common ground on that. And the interesting thing, the, the more I kind of uh, like approach it, the more the common ground always slips away, you know. So you, you also have to just acknowledge the beauty of this multiplicity in that sense. So uh, an approach to perennial philosophy, you, you find it always when you come close to the good, the beauty, and the truth, you know, as Plato put it. And uh, you find similar patterns, you know, but it's so hard to really make it, make it purely overlap one by one. There's so many different in different cultures. I, I tried to do that, especially with medical systems, holistic medical systems. You know, for example, if you talk about the five elements of the Chinese world, you have matter, you have air, water, and so on. And uh, in, in Western world, we usually use four elements, which are like fire, water, earth, and, and wind. So I ask myself, is the fire that the Chinese have in the five element system the same as the four element system? Now, and really cor correlated, which organs are correlating to which illness if there is, for example, too much fire in, in one system or the other. And the interesting stuff, there are overlaps, but not exactly. For example, in the Western, metal has an element. And this is a pure mathematic question, actually. So to answer this question of perennial philosophy, the best language that I might suggest is actually mathematics. Geometry, one hand, but it is pure mathematics in terms of um, what's the Sorry, I can no longer hear you, Daniel. Sorry. The best book I found about that is. Uh, 
written by Alain Bourdieu, which is the being and the event. I think it's in, in English. I only know it by now by heart in German, which is the sign of this Ereignis. So there's a mathematical description that goes most across many languages. And about what you said about the intention, attention that we have across the internet and phones that we have. There is a very interesting aspect that leads really to a new pattern of structuring society, which is this network pattern. And this network pattern is like highly distributed and highly self, self-determined. And we will find this pattern more and more in, in things like cryptocurrency or Web.3, which I think we're just in the very, very, very beginning to experience that, the possibilities of the internet. And this information area we are stepping in will mess up a lot of things which with our old traditional paths and it will have to have a balance with an inside um, work kind of really that this over information that we have outside can be sustained on a psychological level and that is healthy for a society. Because uh, what our youth is facing right now, I mean, I've been grown in a generation where there was no, no cell phone. You know, you had, you had all the numbers of your friends in your head, and then you would take a phone and call them, and then you would just find your way to them. And now we have Google Maps and everything, and we just click on WhatsApp or whatever. And we don't know any, any numbers anymore because they are stored in mobile phone. Yeah. So, yeah. The, there will be a big change first in education of information, but there's a big change of a different pattern, like a web kind of pattern in society, which gives us the probability to define oneself in a completely new structure of society. But on the other hand, this has to be balanced with, with the inner world of the psychological system, which is which just gets messed up by all these changes. Yeah, and and to me, it seems like, as you said before, the changes have occurred so fast, and uh, a lot of us are having difficulties adapting to it, and. Now, it seems to me, with the COVID situation and what we've seen in the last year, 2020, um, that we are at, we're at a point where we've seen that we can slow down and that maybe these, you know, all the excesses of this capitalist system, so-called, you know, quote-unquote capitalist uh, because it's it's now it's more of a corporatist uh, system, 
you know, they're destroying the earth. They're destroying, uh, and we're part of it, of course. We're destroying ourselves ultimately. And so I guess part of that, it, like this emerging generation and these emerging new people are going to have to face these topics that you're talking about as well in terms of in terms of the you know like identity in terms of the sacred and yeah and 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 how they relate to each other how cognitive abilities are changing but i just think that you know whenever we we have a new technology new discoveries and things like you mentioned like now we don't need to remember phone numbers in our head i just i you know i can still remember phone numbers i had stored in my mind from 20 years ago but you know i think we're losing out uh some things and and with attention and i have uh quite a, an affinity to that because my specialty is attention deficit disorder and so you know the fact when people can't pay attention to something like a, a film that could be a beautiful piece of art they're missing out they're missing out quite a lot and it's like uh, imagine you're going to a forest or something and you're on your phone well you're missing out you're really missing out and so I guess part of our task and someone like you with your work and someone like me as a psychologist is to help people navigate through this landscape, right? And try to find equilibrium and balance. What do you think? Exactly, you name it. One thing that just makes you happy, you know, and this is kind of what we all are looking for, just want to be happy somehow is to stay present and one way to stay present is by um yeah by outer impulses and if you are just used to have a lot of impulses you always need more impulses and what training in meditation and stuff like that gives you is actually to focus on the presence, in the present moment, without any impulse. You know, sometimes you will do like different techniques to focus on your breath, or focus on, on the body, or focus on chanting, whatever. You know, that, that gives you like kind of a guidance to be able to focus without a lot of impulses. But that is where that you can find your own emotional patterns, thought patterns, to, to let go. Because the impulses that we get from the outside world, you kind of bury yourself, and bury yourself in a sense that it buries a lot of, um, and if you have traumas, everybody kind of has its own package to, to, to carry, it gets even more buried. So you have to find a way to be present so that these buried things can, can surface to, to have a healthy society. In that sense, what I've seen kind of in, in the future 
is what some some people have called like digital tribalism because there is a certain number like the dumbbells number which is a number like a research number named dumbbell and now that you actually can have good contact with about 100 people a little bit more and uh, the, the information exchange as far as we do it with our language is limited to the extent that we can go in depth. If you have like information on a quantitative scale, we have like, you can see a lot of small videos, but what's, what is the depth as you're looking into that? It's just staying on the surface. So what we find in the depth? The depths we find a true connection, you know, the, the long lasting ones. And if we just play with outer impulses and just scratch out the surface and it gives us a very short term pleasure, it won't hold that long, we will immediately search for the next one. And this is kind of what a new generation will have to learn if they want to find something meaningful that is a bit that lasts something longer. You know, otherwise we just keep on skipping and skipping and skipping the next one, next one, next one. You know? And actually search something out there which might be in, in someone else or in, in yourself, I mean. And through digital tribalism, we, we can find a combination of the possibility to be able to navigate through a multiplicity of worlds, which we find through the internet, like tons of different ways how to express oneself and find oneself in the other. But on the other hand, what is much more needed in society are actually people that, for example, you name it, can guide the future generation. You know, tell them what is virtuous, you know, what is good, what is, how, how to communicate, how to cooperate, to make something thriving bigger than you. And um, for these mentors are a good example to have like a good fatherhood is something that might be more and more important in these future days than we might expect now or we can feel. So I think that the topic around fatherhood, mentorship, and having communities in which you can express new ways of ritualizing your life into a community-based um, feeling that can overcome isolation and therefore some depression um, will be much more needed in the next days and especially after COVID experiences. Yeah, and I think yeah, these are these are great points, and I think this is really something to focus on. It's like what can we do? to help each other out to navigate through this environment. And you mentioned, you mentioned the, this uh, digital tribes and 
uh, I, I have in my mind like some of the early visions of what the internet uh, could have been like a more free place with exchange of ideas. And one of the things I've noticed and I've, I've been uh, with the latest uh, things that are happening around politics and around uh, the media. And I've noticed that I'm getting more and more alienated from places like mainstream media, uh, politics. And I think that this, what you've just said, is a great positive message and a way of finding some, let's say, decentralized way of communic of communicating and forming community and having mentorship. And I think this is a really positive note and positive thought to move on to because this is, uh, I think, the way forward is to try to find some more decentralized way of living and, and sustaining one another. And yeah, and that's just that's just how I see it. I see that on the one hand, we see these corporations that control or that hold um, things like, you know, uh, social media sites, they're, ge they're getting more and more powerful. Um, they offer services which can be good. They have a lot of downsides as well. But I think that, yeah, we, we have to think about also this decentralized approach. And, and we can kind of f close uh, our talk here. But what do you think about that, this decentralized approach rather and especially moving into the future where we can try to be more sustainable in terms of ecology, you know, our impact on the planet and also like keep some of the, you know, keep or keep a lot of the traditional wisdom of the past uh, in terms of mystical traditions, philosophy, psychology, all of this, but, you know, kind of, sustaining one another in a less centralized way right right i mean the crucial topics that we are facing in the development of the information area that we stepped into with the internet and like this where you said about this new or this vision to freely exchange information um we're just at the beginning what we are facing right now is kind of a revolution that is comparable with the discovering of the printing. Now, from there on, we had the Reformation. From there on, we had a new class rising up, the middle class. Before that, there was no middle class. No, in this middle class, we would do, would do um, serial production. You know, and this hero production led actually to the companies which are now ruling the world. So the, the invention of print media is like this pattern of serial production. And what we have now with the digital age, information of technology, 
is that now we just put the, the old pattern on the information pattern. We have the monopole again with the big companies leading the internet. And that's only the beginning because the internet structure is another, which is decentralized, as you said. Yeah. And we will find the extent of a decentralized system, I think, in a few years with what they call the Web3, which is based on this blockchain technology in which privacy and transparency is very held up accordingly. We can vacation as part of that to keep things going, but actually where you are self-determined in the way how you interact with the users on the same base. And um, yeah, I mean, really I want to say, yeah, it will lead to a societal revolution, which will lead to, on one hand, it will rise a new class out of this um, internet, you know, much more products and other things will, will come up. But there will be a new type of, of relating to each other. And how we can really overcome the problems that we have with the ecology, with, with our way of taking decisions on the state level. I think all of that is also kind of getting another level. I don't want to say that the old things are going to disappear because for example, at the same, at the time where agriculture appeared and we just moved out being hunting gatherers, you know, we still have farmers. Or only because we have democracy, we still have kings and queens. You know? But their importance diminished because the need of a new structure that rise out of the complexity rising is another. And the complexity we're facing is global. And that is something very new in the history. And the problems that we have are global. And that's something that we know about now, which is very unique in history. Mm -hmm. And everybody can access it through the internet. So the only way to really face them is global, through the internet, through a, a sense of that we belong to one Earth. I mean, that sounds very enthusiastic, but I really mean it that it is a necessity and it will come anyways for a new rising society. And I don't say that the old societies are going to disappear, but a new class will rise out of that. Yeah, this is, and, and this is a great point you make, and uh, you give a lot of hope. And I, I am also optimistic in some way, despite the fact I see 
in some way with these monopolies and the, the power of these big tech companies, kind of a new feudalism could arise. I think that we have enough smart, creative and beautiful people that are that are visionary and would, um, you know, and we can create this alternative, as you are saying, and we will work for it. And of course, we owe our allegiance to the earth, which has spawned us and uh, also the, of course, the forces that we are aware of. And uh, like you, you have uh, to God, maybe some of us, whatever our concepts are, um, how we visualize this intelligence, right? This creator, creator or creative force uh, is, is important. So Daniel, we are running out of time. It was an immense pleasure to have this talk. And I know we just touched the surface, uh, but with this hour set up or a little bit over an hour, it's what we can do. But uh, would you like to tell the listeners where they can find your work or your, your website, for example? Yes, I have a website that is Daniel minus Dick, D-I-C-K dot com. And um, there you have his, my, my contacts. And you also can find the book Sex, Masculinity and God on the website sexmasculinitycard.com and you will find my contact and my website in there. Um, any question, feel free to reach out. Great. And I'm very happy to have this conversation with you, Simon. It was a pleasure for me. Yes, and, and I would say I would love to have you back on again to uh, maybe have a conversation again that is mired on one subject because i think we can go into great depth and since the you know this is 2021 i am open to having a bigger variety of people on as, and talk also about things like systems theory uh philosophy and things of that sort because in the end of the in the end of the day they're all intertwined so psychology philosophy systems you know, we are all in it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really appreciated uh, this talk. And I will put for the listeners uh, the, the links to your websites uh, in the show notes below. So uh, thank you all for tuning in and catch you next time. <laughs>